Habakkuk chapter 1, verses 12 uh, to chapter 2, verse 5. So here now God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. This is Habakkuk talking. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them for a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol, like death. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. Let's pray together. Lord, this is your word. Sometimes these uh, poetic utterances are difficult for us to understand, so we ask that you would give us clarity. We pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to your word, to hear you speak to us, even through my weak and feeble words, even through this sinful and weak preacher. Lord, uh, make your voice clear to us. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Francis Bacon the 16th century English uh, philosopher and statesman is credited with the phrase, the remedy is worse than the disease. And that's precisely what Habakkuk seems to uh, be feeling in this second complaint in the beginning of our, uh, this, this prophecy through the, the word of Habakkuk. Um, Habakkuk had been crying out, seeing wickedness, all around him, and he asked the Lord, Lord, how, how can you stand idly by? Why don't you, why don't you do something about this? How, how can you stand this? And the Lord had responded to Habakkuk, and he said, be prepared to be astounded. I am doing something that you wouldn't believe. I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that wicked, bitter, hasty, violent nation. They will be the ones that bring judgment upon my people. But if Habakkuk's first question was, how long, O Lord, how long can you, until I hear your voice dealing with this, Habakkuk's second question is, O Lord, how can this be? How can this be that you would use wickedness, even the wicked, to bring about your purposes? 
And as we'll see, the Lord answered Habakkuk yet, yet again. And his answer is basically this, and this is what we need to hear, is that judgment is certainly coming, but the righteous will live by faith. The righteous will live in the midst of the judgment by their faith. Um, as we did last week, we'll, so we'll do today, we'll look at our passage through these two different speakers. First, we'll consider the prophet's plea to the Lord, and finally, uh, secondly, the, the Lord's answer, and then we'll wrap that up with some points of application from the passage. So, um, students, when we read God's word, when, we, when God speaks to us and tells us who he is and the way he intends to work, it is good for us to think about it, to wrestle through it, make sure that we understand it in our mind, make sure that it makes sense to us. And if it doesn't, we, it, is, it is right for us to come to the Lord and ask him for clarity, to search the scriptures, to gain better clarity about what God intends to do. And that is what Habakkuk does when he comes to this, this second complaint. He has heard the Lord give his word that he is raising up the Chaldeans. And his theological brain kicks into gear and he starts wrestling through this. And he's got some questions that he wants to ask the Lord. And the first thing he wants to make clear that he is a, a conviction of his is that these Chaldeans, these, these Babylonians are coming for discipline and not for destruction. He says, O Lord, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them for as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Reproof, kids, is another word for correction or discipline. He's saying, Lord, you've established them for discipline, not for destruction. Well, how does Habakkuk know this? Well, he begins by remembering who God is. He says, are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God? He is, God is everlasting. He is eternal. His purposes are eternal. His plan is eternal. And he says, O, o Lord. Now, when it's all uppercase like that, that is the covenantal name of our God, Yahweh which God gave to his people, which means I am. Habakkuk was appealing to his, un, that God is unchangeable. His plans are eternal and his plans are unchangeable and his plans are covenantal, meaning that he has entered into a covenant promise with his people. And notice Habakkuk says, O Lord, my God. That's the great and grand promise of God's eternal and unchanging promise with his people. I will be your God and you will be my people. You will be my people. And in that covenant, God had told David, King David, he said, your throne, your kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. 
you will never cease to have a son sitting on the throne of that kingdom. Now, at this point in history of Israel, there had been a divided kingdom due to wickedness. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had split, and the northern kingdom of Israel was wicked, and the Assyrians had come in and had wiped out the northern kingdom. They had deported them, effectively destroying the, the northern kingdom. And then the Babylonians were coming and they were destroying the Assyrians. But now God is promising that the Babylonians are going to come and attack the southern kingdom. But God had promised David would have an everlasting throne, an everlasting kingdom. God had promised that he would be God. And so God's reputation was at stake. If Babylon came and destroyed this southern kingdom of Judah, there would be no more Israel, and God's promise would have failed. And that can never be. That can never be because God is everlasting and unchanging. He is unchangeable. And so he says, O Lord my God, we shall not die. We know that to be true. And so he rests on that fact. And, and students, what you need to understand is that we have a reasonable faith. And by that I mean a faith that makes sense, that we can reason through when God speaks to us. Things fit. If you don't understand something in God's word, if something doesn't make sense, it's not because God is unclear or God is confusing or contradictory. It's that we fail to understand. We lack the wisdom and the knowledge and the clarity. And we ought to seek that understanding. We ought to go to God's word. We ought to pray that God would give us clarity as we read God's word. We ought to take advantage of the means of instruction that God has given to us because God's word is true and non-contradictory. The second thing Habakkuk acknowledges is that this is God's doing. He is acknowledging God's sovereignty even over the judgment of this coming nation. He says, still in verse 12, he says, O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Earlier in chapter 1, God had said, I am raising up the Chaldeans, and now Habakkuk is acknowledging that. And kids, as we learn to pray, it is good for us to echo back what God says. Actually, when we communicate with one another, communication is hard, and sometimes it is, it is a good thing to say back to the person what we think we heard to make sure that we are clearly understood. And when we pray to God, we ought to acknowledge what he says for who he is or what he plans on doing. We are acknowledging that back to him. That's a way that we learn that. And in fact, if you're going to pray in truth, we can't avoid it. Because all that we know about God is from what God has told us. All that we know about what God will truly do is because he's told us that. So we ought to do such a thing. But notice that Habakkuk isn't just acknowledging the means of this coming judgment, but also the, the opportunity for it. 
verse 14, he says, You made mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He's saying, God, you, you made us to be catchable. We can be ensnared. And brothers and sisters, that's really important for us to understand that this is part of how God has made us. We are susceptible to being caught, trapped, ensnared. Um, and notice this graphic language that he uses, this fishing analogy, where he, he describes the, what, what's going to happen with the, the Babylonians that using these uh, fishing techniques that are still used today. He says, it's this up, out, and in uh, language. He says, he brings them all up with a hook, and he drags them out with his net, bringing them up out of the deeper water into the shallower water, and then he uses his dragnet to bring them in. He's, he's getting them out of the deep and then dragging them in. He's catching them. And brothers and sisters, you and I can be caught and ensnared by many things. I know that you feel it at times, and, and there are times where you, uh, you want to do what is right, and yet you find yourself getting caught and ensnared. The, the Apostle James spoke of this. He said that we are tempted when we are lured. He that term of a lure, lured by our own desires. And then when we give in to that desire, when that desire becomes inordinate, then, we, um, then sin is given birth. And then when sin is fully, fully grown, it brings forth death. And so it's this dangerous cycle. But that's part of how God has made us, is to be catchable. And so it's important for you to recognize that about yourself and to consider what are the things, what are the what are the what is the bait that lures you to the hook? Is it something um, relational or something visual? Is it something intellectual? Something that can lead you away from Christ and lead you into temptation? Um, it's important to be cognizant of that. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But you ought to pray that the Lord would help you to identify where does your heart tend to follow the bait and grab for the hook. And ask God to help you to stand up under those temptations. So he says God is sovereign in these things, in this judgment. He says we, we have hope that we will not die. But then he asks this, that his ultimate question. And his question is essentially this, Lord, how can you use the wicked to bring about your good purposes? How can you bring, use the unrighteous to bring about your righteous purposes? He says, first he calls him, oh God, my holy one the pure one. And then in verse 13, he says, you who are of purer eyes than to see evil. You can't see evil. And you cannot look at wrong. How, why do you idly look at these traitors and remain silent? He says, when, when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. And it's interesting that he uses that language, swallows up, 
because that judge, that's a judgment language that we've seen throughout the story of Scripture. It was the Egyptian army that was swallowed up by the Red Sea uh, after as Moses was leading God's people out of Egypt. And then when they're wandering in the wilderness and there's this rebellion against Moses by Korah and Dathan and Abiram, the ground opens up and swallows them alive. And here it's the Chaldean army who is swallowing up, he says, a, a, a people more righteous than he. How, God, how can you do that? How does that, you can't even look at this wickedness. How can you bring this about? And not only that, God, is, God has said, I am raising them up. He is the one that's giving them this strength and they don't even acknowledge him for that strength. They, they, they see that strength in and of themselves as their own God. They, they gather in these people, and then it says, and then he sacrifices to his net, and he makes offerings to his dragnet. He's worshiping himself and his own strength, the strength that God himself has given to him. And finally, he says, he asks the question, well, Lord, you're giving them the strength. They're, they're, you, you had said that they would sweep by. Nothing would be able to stop them. Are you going to let them do this forever? He says, is he then going to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing these nations forever? How long will you let this go on, Lord? What, what are you doing? So he asks these questions. He puts them before the Lord. And then, as we ought to do, when we contend with the Lord, he humbly says, I will wait. I will wait to see what the Lord will say. He says, he will take my I will take my stand on the watch post. He will be like a watchman standing on the wall looking for the messenger to come. I will take my stand, station myself in the tower, and look to see what he will say to me. Even if that is a rebuke, because he says, and what I will answer concerning my complaint. He is, he is contended with the Almighty God. Will God rebuke him? as he did to Job, how will he respond? Will he respond? Well, the Lord did indeed respond. And the Lord speaks of a vision that is coming. And he says two things. He speaks of the certainty of the vision and the substance of this vision. It says, first he speaks of the certainty of this vision. He says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. God would give him a vision. He was to write it down. He was to make it plain on tablets. These tablets um, were like a tablet that they would put in a, a town square, almost like a public billboard, so that people, as they were walking by, could read the vision. And he says, so, so that he may run who reads it. The expectation was that people would see the vision. When they saw it, they would run and tell those who hadn't heard this vision. And he speaks of its certainty, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. It has a time that has been set and fixed. God is bringing it about. He's not figuring out if he's going to do it. It's going to happen at an appointed time. And that time is hastening. But it may seem slow. It may feel as though it's not coming. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. 
And beloved, God tells us in his word what he will do, what he intends to do. It is a certainty and it has a fixed time that is fixed in the mind of our God. But God often tells us what he will do, but not always, not usually, when he intends to do it. He calls us to live by faith, resting in the truth that what he has said will come to pass. And that's what happens here. It, it, it can feel as though it's not happening, like God is slow in his promises. The New Testament says that the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. He's not. It feels slow, but we must wait for it. We must wait on him. And then he gets to the crux of his vision. And it is essentially this. He acknowledges the pride and the wickedness of the Chaldeans. And their strength has become their pride. The strength has become their God. And that will ultimately be their undoing. But by contrast, those who will live, the righteous will live by faith. They will live trusting in God's promises in the midst of the coming judgment. He says that this, um, these Chaldeans, they are, they're prideful. He says, behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him. Even the, the prideful cannot be upright in God's sight. And these wicked are clearly not not um, upright within him. Not only that, this, this pride, this, this violence, it is intoxicating. It, like wine is a traitor. It's, it will turn on him. It will become his undoing. It's an arrogant man who's never at rest. He, he is so consumed with violence and wickedness and conquering. His bloodlust will never be satisfied. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all the nations and collects for himself all the peoples. The Lord sees his unsatiable appetite for violence. And the Lord says, I see, and it will not last. And we'll take up that a taunt that the Lord takes upon these in, next week. But he says, I see this. But, he says, the righteous shall live by his faith. Those who are trusting in the, in the surety of God's promises, his covenantal promises to be God to his people, to protect them, to watch over them, they shall live. But his wickedness will be traitorous and it will be his downfall. So as we consider this passage, there's a few things, a few points of application, I think, we ought to take away from this. First has to do with the nature of prayer. Um, to correctly pray to our God, to correctly contend with him and to seek to grab hold of what God is doing, we, it requires a knowledge of who God really is, a knowledge of his ways. Habakkuk is is resting on what he knows that God has revealed to him. And God speaks to us in his word. And he gives us the truth 
He speaks to us about his character. And it's through the, the reading of the word and prayer as we seek to digest what God has said. God gives us that understanding. And we have to be careful. We, one of the things that we know about God is that he is omniscient. Kids, that means that he knows all things. I'm sure you are familiar with that truth about who God is. But God's omniscience should never hinder our prayers. Habakkuk prays back to the Lord the things that God already knows. God knows about their wickedness. He knows about his covenant. He knows about these things. But God calls us to pray back to him the things that he knows. Yes, God knows these things, but he calls us to pray to him. Yes, God can do all his holy will, and yet he asks us to ask him for it. He responds to our prayers. That's how we ought to pray. Praising God for who he is, who he says he is. Praising God, asking him to do what he says he will do. But our our heart posture before our God should be like Habakkuk's is in chapter 2, verse 1, a position of humility. I will wait to see what the Lord says to me. Not demanding that God do something differently or respond in a particular way, but I will wait to see what he will say. I will put myself at the mercy of the Almighty God. Um, second thing that we can see is just the certainty of God's plans. God's plans are unquestionably appointed. He says, the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. There's, there's no hint whatsoever that anything will be able to hinder, slow down, stop, or in any way thwart God's perfect plans. And faith rests on that certainty. God has said that judgment is coming upon all flesh. He has promised salvation in his son, Jesus Christ, for all those who put their hope in him. Do you, brothers and sisters, rest with the surety that those things are true? Faith walks with that as though it is the solid bedrock of our existence. That we must live before a holy God with righteousness and purity before him. That we must be like the one who reads the tablet and runs to tell others of this appointed vision. God has written it not only in his word, but he has inscribed this covenant on our hearts. And we must be eager to share it. Are you living with that certainty? It changes the way that we live. And God, and also these, these things, these promises God has promised are covenantal. Covenantal promises, which means that God has said Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Just as sure as, sure as Habakkuk says, we shall not die. 
He says, I will be your God. I will be your father and you will be my child. And I will lavish upon you blessing upon blessing. And therein, beloved, is the distinction that Habakkuk sees, this distinction between discipline and destruction. The Chaldeans are coming, but for what purpose? They're coming to discipline God's people, to discipline them to godliness, to bring them into conformity with God's covenant with them to, so that he might lavish his blessings upon them. And therein lies the distinction between God's people and those who are apart from God's grace in Jesus Christ is faith in Jesus Christ. The righteous will live by faith. And those who are living by faith, God promises that he will discipline us, but we will never be destroyed. But those apart from that grace have no hope but destruction. But here's the important thing that we need to see, brothers and sisters, is that God will use the wickedness that is around us for his glorious purposes. He did it in Habakkuk's day, and he did it before, and he did it after in God's word. Saw it in the life of Joseph. Joseph's brothers were wicked. They had evil hearts towards him. They sold him into slavery. But at the end of the book of Genesis, Joseph acknowledges, he says, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, that he would save his people and protect them from all harm. God worked through the wickedness. He could not see it. He, he hates that wickedness, and yet he uses it for its glory. And of course, brothers and sisters, the greatest example of this is your salvation and mine in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2 said this. It's better for me to read it. So give me just a second. He said, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Their free, wicked, self-planned, self-made plans to destroy Jesus was the means of our salvation. God used the ultimate wickedness, the ultimate injustice for our salvation, beloved. And know for certain that God uses the wickedness of people around you and the evil of this culture to discipline you, to grab your heart, to conform you to the image of Christ. He is training you in godliness. He is bringing you to glory. He is purifying you. And he will do it through the work of wickedness around you. What situations in your life can you attribute to God's fatherly care in trying to grab hold of you and conform you to the image of Christ? He promises to do this. And this, 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 but this is a distinction for those between the proud and those who walk by faith. The proud cannot be upright. They cannot be righteous because the the foundation of faith 
which allows us to cling, grab hold of Christ by faith is we must have humility. We must have humility to recognize that we are sinners in the sight of a holy God, that we have offended him, that he is God and we are his creatures. We are his creation. We must have the humility to recognize that we can't save ourselves, that nothing that we do, nothing in my hands I bring, simply to my, thy cross I cling. Nothing, not to us, O Lord, but to you be the glory, that we can do nothing to earn our salvation, that we must accept with humility what God has offered to us. But it's also the humility to recognize that even having accepted it, we are his children and we must submit to his fatherly care, which means at times his fatherly discipline, that we are still being conformed to the image of his son, that we still need to walk by faith day after day. And it's the humility to recognize that faith is a lifelong journey. Cling to the, the promises that God has given to us in his word. Faith loves the Lord above all things, worships him above all things, and trusts him above our ourselves. So we must walk by that faith. But, beloved, there's also some good news here. That the whole concept of us being made like fish and being caught, that has some devastating consequences for us that we must be mindful, but there's some wonderful gospel promises too because what did Jesus do? He, he called fishermen to be his apostles and he said, I will make you fishers of men. For just as we can be caught by our own desires and lured into temptation and and be led away from Christ, so also we can be lured by the beauty of the grace of Jesus Christ. Have you, have you been caught by the love and grace of our Savior? Have you been dragged into the net of his kingdom and received that grace that is found only in him? That is where we find true freedom and true security is in Christ Jesus. He who knew no sin, who became sin for us, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God, so that we could live by faith in, in, the, in the Savior who loved me and gave himself for me. Beloved, do you know that love of Jesus Christ? Have you been caught into his net. I encourage you to, to receive that gift if you've never done it, even today. Because, beloved, what we know for certain, because God has told us, is that a day is appointed, a day that is described in God's word as the great and terrible day of the Lord. It is a day when our Lord Jesus will come, not in weakness, but in strength and majesty and might. It will be a great day of rejoicing for those who are in Christ Jesus as we see our Savior come and deliver us 
as he's promised for all eternity. But for those who don't know Christ Jesus on that day, it will be a terrible day from which there will be no escape. On that day, God's word says that those who are apart from Christ will cry out to the mountains, fall on us, hide us from he who comes, from the wrath of the one who comes in the Lord. But even the mountains, if you can believe it, the mighty Rockies, the Appalachians, even they will be too small of a refuge to hide from the wrath of God. Only the rock of Jesus Christ will be a suitable refuge from the wrath of God on that day. And so I urge you, put your faith in Christ. Trust in him. Hide yourself in him as the rock of refuge because those who put their faith in Christ will never be put to shame. And we can walk by faith confidently saying, O Lord, we shall not die, but we are yours forever and ever. Praise be to God. Let's pray together. Father, you are so clear in your word, and yet we are so slow in understanding it. We thank you for your spirit of grace. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. Help us to hide ourselves in him, to receive the hope that is ours in him. Help us to walk by faith that we might be pleasing to you. We might enjoy you today and every day. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.